Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where organized religion meets relationships face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. That's a new introduction. We'll explain that in a second. Gathered around here is our entire studio audience, except for two people. And uh, we're on a skeleton crew. It's New Year's Day, 2013. We're entering our seventh, actually going into our eighth year after March of this year. On stage with me, they're going to raise their hands as we move about. We have Brittany. We have Matt. Uh Uh-oh, we have two Matts. Both raise your hands. We have Heather. We have Mitchell, we have Tyler, we have Brian, we have Matt number two, we have Tori, we have Sean, we have Delaney McCraney, we have Sarah, we have Will, we have Jake, we have Cody, and we have RJR. It's great to have all these guys with us. Would anybody like to say anything to our viewing audience at this time? RJR, anything you'd like to say? God's word is true. God's word is true. Thank you, RJR. Anybody else? By the way, this group, this group is a family, local. This whole group has come up from Southern California for a ski trip. Has there been any romances brewing? I'm curious. Any <laughs> secret romances between any of you? I see two guys kind of touching hands. That's scaring me. Uh, anyway, thanks, you guys, for all being on. God bless you. You can just step off that way. Be careful of those cords. You know, why don't we start off uh, with a prayer. Father God, we thank you for life and for this opportunity. We pray that you'll be with us as we uh, uh, do this program tonight, this first day of January, and that you will help uh, me articulate the things you want me to say and the new direction we are taking for the year 2013 here on Heart of the Matter. So uh, we pray for our volunteers, our staff, viewing audience, wherever they may be around the world, here in Utah and Idaho, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, it's January 1st, 2013, just for the the, uh, camera, and seven years ago, we began writing, producing, hosting this live television program where we compared Mormonism with what the Bible has to say. I've been tenacious, I've been rude at times, uh, belligerent, Uh, relentless in exposing modern-day Mormonism for what it is. It's a man-made religion. Uh, Some argue that all religions are. I might agree. Uh, But it is one that stands in opposition to the biblical message uh, that we have in front of us. I'm really not sure about the best way to go about tonight. I have struggled back and forth with how we're going to do this. Uh, So be patient with me. For clarity's sake, and I apologize for this approach, but go with me back in time. Go with me way back to 1974 to Huntington Beach, California. I was a 12-year-old kid, uh, and even as an active Mormon boy at that time there in Huntington Beach, passing the Mormon sacrament, attending all my Mormon meetings, and uh, trying my best to fit in with the Mormon culture as well as the culture there in Southern California, Um, I long possessed a penchant for seeing life and living from a very different perspective than most of my peers, whether they were Mormon or not. Um, The best way, I suppose, to uh, kind of encapsulate that perspective would be uh, one of an artist. I'm not a very good artist, but I have an an, an artist temperament and worldview, so to speak. 
And though I was only 12 years old and of very average intelligence, I was without uh, trying someone who questioned everything. Every single thing that was presented to me as truth, uh, I questioned. And in the face of inferior answers to most of my questions, I became a cynic, a scoffer of sorts, uh, kind of highly suspect of everything that was going on around me that was presented as normative, as uh, this is how it's done. Because when you would question those systems and those cultures and those ideologies and those philosophies, uh, and you couldn't get a viable response as to why this was done this way, you would become cynical and critical of almost all things. And so sitting in Mormon Sunday school and priesthood meetings, I remember having things, uh, strange observations going through my head even back then. How come the Bible describes Jesus as this man who was totally cool, totally loving, totally uh, uh, about uh, helping and serving and dying for the world, etc. But why were the Mormon teachers making it seem like he was wearing a white shirt and a tie and had a missionary haircut and wore a name badge? I mean, why was that going on and why was that being presented? I remember those thoughts going through. And how come the angel Moroni that brought Joseph Smith supposedly these golden plates to translate and told him, don't show those plates to anybody. How come he didn't tell Joseph and don't tell anybody that you have these plates? You see, because Joseph Smith says that when, when the whole community found out he had them, he spent most of his time fighting them off and trying to save his life and everything and all the persecution. Why didn't the angel just say, and Joseph, don't tell anybody you've got them either. It's going to cause you a lot of problems. But no, because the thing is fabricated. And so you question that. How come? And, and you, get, you get criticized and shut down and the, your responses make you more cynical. And how come people say the same schnit over and over again in their prayers, uh, please bless this food that it will nourish and strengthen our bodies. I mean, that line, if I heard it once, I heard it 450,000 times being raised as a Mormon. Please bless the food that it will nourish and strengthen. Who came up with that line? And why is that something that's repeated? So when you're 12 years old and you're thinking these things and you have questions and they're not answered, you become kind of a scoffer. Well, at this time, I was completely unaware that this type of questioning and, and thinking was indicative of how I would forever go through life and examining the world around me, whether it be in education or entertainment or athletics or, or the arts. Um, but it was especially true. This attitude was especially prevalent when people would talk about God and religion. That got my hackles of cynicism up because I really wanted to know what the truth was. Give me, cut out your bull shiitake mushroom garbage about what this is and what you're supposed to do and how this is supposed to be because you've decided it's supposed to be that way. And tell me what the straight shot is about religion, about God, and if he likes religion, and what he really expects of people, who this Jesus really was, not what the Baptist preacher on the television says, and not someone who's doing snake handling, and not somebody who says you can't eat this or you can't drink that. Tell me what God really is about, you know? And so looking back, I can see that these propensities were just a nascent desire 
to have the truth. Give me the bloody truth. No matter how ugly it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much it's going to cost me in terms of being accepted or not accepted, I just want to know truth. And that sent me, uh, I, I embarked upon this quest to know truth. And, and, and not to be redundant, but I swallowed the Kool-Aid. I served a full-time Mormon mission. Uh, I was married in the LDS temple to my uh, wife. I attended a LDS-owned university, Brigham Young University. And I was actively raising three daughters and teaching them to believe things I had often wondered and had a hard time about. And, and it was about that time I decided, look, I'm going to pursue a course in finding out truth and uh, authentic living, no matter what the cost, how controversial, how painful, um, regardless of what the rest of the accepted religious world would say or do, I was going to discover if this truth existed or not. And after years of, 17 years of endless searching, I mean, I, we went through all the philosophy, I say we, but I mean, everybody who lived near me, with me, or knew me was going through it too, because as I was going through it, they were going through it. You know, the philosophies and going through everything, starting all the way back to Heraclitus and, and, and Paramedes and, and get into Plato and get into Aristotle and go to Hegel and go to Kant and, and get to Sartre and go to Kierkegaard and what did they have to say and thinking that that was there and uh, not finding it. And um, finally, I came to have a face-to-face, one-on-one, heart-to-heart experience with truth, capital T, truth. Uh, it was a completely relational interchange. It was not culturally defined. It was not a religious uh, experience. It was a relationship with absolute truth. That does not mean it's ever relative. It doesn't mean it wavers in the light of scrutiny. It doesn't mean it has to be uh, explained away with that's just the way it is. It means it has answers. It means it's founded in archeological evidence. It means it's founded in uh, historical and genetic and scientific evidences. It means that it can stand up to anybody's questions or anything that they have to uh, say about it. That is truth. And when you can have a relation with that, you know that your life and your worldview will change. And that's exactly what happened to me in the summer of 1997. It was then and there I discovered that truth was not by any means relative, nor did it arrive in or through any organized religion, any religious demand, any religious denomination, any system that men and women uh, came up with and said it was necessary that you embrace this in order to be acceptable to, embrace this so you can be acceptable to, no. It didn't come with any of that. What it came with is, I am here and I want a relationship with you. And um, uh, this way, this truth, this life, was my introduction to the promised Messiah, Meshiach, uh, born Yeshua, prophesied of 316 different ways and places and times in ancient Old Testament scripture, and coming to me as a being who we refer to as, in Anglicanized uh, English, Jesus. Uh, I, don't, I didn't have to be good or holy or uh, clean in order to have this interaction with 
truth with Jesus, to know or to receive him. And on my own today, right now, standing here, I am still in my flesh not good, not holy, not clean, not worthy of that one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. And neither are any of you out there, even the guys standing behind the pulpits who think that they present this holiness. They're not, they're men, and they are just as fallen as I am and as anybody else. But he reached me, uh, as he does everybody, as I was. He continues to do the same today. He was without fail. He was unconditional. He was faithful even when I wasn't. And his promise, come unto me, all you that labor, work, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That was his promise. And you can have peace. And when that event occurred, I stopped with the search, the philosophical quest, the teleological quest, the uh, theological quest. I stopped with all of it because I found a peace that was not of this world. And this peace came outside, transcendent of all of man's influences. Well, being that I was an active Mormon when I received him in 1997, I personally learned from firsthand experience some very important things. First, I learned that God reaches in and touches anybody who authentically, genuinely wants to know truth. He, I don't know why it's this way, but it seems like those who want to know truth, those who seek, find him. Those who don't care, don't. And that's just how it works. If someone is pleased with what they have in this life, is pleased to accept what they are handed and fed as this is the norm, this is what is politically correct, this is what helps our society operate, this philosophy serves the, the common good the best, those who are happy with that, who are happy with material acquisition, who are happy with their relationship with another person or their children or their job, those people who are satisfied, they usually don't find him. They don't care. And, so, and he allows that. He gives you the freedom to do that. He says, you don't have to believe in me. I'll still let the rain fall on your head and the sun shine on you. And if you do these things and work, I'll do this. And he still blesses the evil and the good. So it's not predicated, his goodness is not predicated on what you do. He's going to be good to you regardless. What happens thereafter is something else. But if you're a seeker, if you're a genuine seeker of truth, and you say, you know, this mortal probation lasts, you know, 60, 70, 80 years, barring a car accident or some dreadful disease you get in your teens. So I'm going to be out of here in 80 years. And... After that, is there something? And after that, which lasts forever and ever, how important is that to some people? Some people say, I want to know what's going on with this thing after and before and during. And those people who say, I genuinely want to know truth, he gives it to them. Every single one I have ever met ultimately come to know that truth with the capital T. But I learned that he reaches in and touches any who seek him. He reaches atheists sometimes uh, who aren't even seeking him. He reaches humanists. He reaches Jews. He reaches Muslims. He reaches Hindus and Buddhists and Baptists and Catholics. He even reaches Mormons. He reached me while I was an active one with 
truth. He touches people who are sexually deviant while they're sexually deviant. He touches people who are alcoholics and drug addicts. He touches people who are very accomplished, who are intelligent. He touches people who are stupid. He touches depraved people, straight-edge people, violent people, puritanical people. He touches sore-covered meth addicts as, as readily as he touches uh, bling-laden soccer moms standing behind their ornate kitchens and making lunch for their little toddlers. He touches whoever is seeking him. When I realized that he does the converting to those who are seeking him, I saw very early on, and more often than not, that organized religion and so-called organized religious people often do more to get in the way of him reaching people who are seeking him than to help out in that endeavor. I am not anti-church. I love the body of truth seekers who have found him and their collective hearts and unity. I love gathering with them and studying and being with them. But I am completely anti-religion, anti-Christian culture, anti-Mormonism, uh, Catholicism, Buddhism, Judaism, Presbyterianism, because isms are synonymous with man says, this is the culture you have to embrace in order to be acceptable with him. God says, I don't look on the outward appearance of people. I look upon the heart. Man says you have to show up and wear this robe in order to talk about God from behind a pulpit. God says, talk about me from wherever you want. Wear your pajamas. I don't care. Man says, ism, is. God says, I want the heart. And so when all these isms and is get in the, the fray, people start to believe that what those isms and is mandate are necessary for you to be right with him. And that actually serves to remove people from his presence, from knowing him in a relationship, and it puts them on a hamster wheel of performance and of doing and of being and of serving and of giving in order to be acceptable to him because men get in between the man and God and they say, you gotta do that, you gotta do that because it's feeding the man. We had a scripture that should have shown on the uh, screen before we started and this is what it said and this is the scripture that's gonna run at the beginning of every show throughout this year. It's from Ezekiel, Old Testament chapter 34 verses one and two. And Ezekiel writes, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. There it is. Prophesy and say unto, the, say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. That's powerful. The Lord God unto the shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? This was an indictment from God looking down on Israel at the time and saying, you men who have been assigned to care for the flock of people around you have chosen to feed yourselves and your intentions, your ism, your is, your thing, your philosophy, and push that out to the people rather than feed the flock the necessities of what I want them to have so that they can thrive in this fallen world. Well, I got to tell you, the, the situation is no different today. 
So because I was LDS, I was able to see how much man-made religion, religious organizations, uh, excuse me, got in the way of truth. And so I decided to do something about it. And you know the story. Uh, wrote a book. Was offered a television uh, program here in Utah. Started a Bible study. We became a church. Yada, yada, yada. Non-denominational church. Campus. Christian anarchists meeting to prayerfully understand scripture is the uh, acronym. Uh, and to say the least, the result has been amazing because of truth, because of him, not because of me, for sure. Uh, millions, as a result of God blessing the ministry, have insights into Mormonism and the machine that it is. Hundreds of thousands of people are now armed with facts about Mormonism so that when the missionaries and the neighbors come knocking on the door saying, hey, we're part of the Mormon church, would you like to talk to us? They have these facts now because of the programming that they can throw out to them and say, you know, this is what your doctrine really says. This is what your practice really does and means, you know, and, and they're, they're armed with it rather than just being uh, sheep taken to the slaughter. And hundreds, maybe even thousands by this time, based on our emails, have actually pulled up stakes and abandoned Mormonism and said, we don't want any more of this philosophy, this, this uh, ism anymore. What we want is a relationship, and they found that relationship through that capital T truth that I was talking about. And we, we thank and we praise God Almighty for doing this. You know, um, I want you to imagine something. Maybe I can show it on here. Girls who are doing the cameras, let's see if we can do this. I want you to imagine, so can you see this circle? Is that, can you focus in on that, Crystal? I don't know. Can we see it? Can you guys see it in the audience? No, well, pretend there's a circle there. <laughs> there's a circle, and we'll go over to this one. Okay, now listen. This, is, this circle represents Mormonism, all right? And, and at the top of that circle are, are people who are in Mormonism, just a little percentage of it, who probably have come to understand the truth while they are LDS. And there's 14 million Mormons. I put a 14 in there. I, I won't continue on with this thing, but just imagine that circle. And there's 14 million Mormons in that circle. And we have focused seven years of attention on all of their doctrines, all of their practice. And the Mormons write us and they call us and they say, how come you're picking on us? Why do you pick on us only? And we've had several reasons why. First, I was Mormon. And I was for 40 years, and I understand their doctrine. I taught their doctrine. And I also went to uh, uh, theology school and learned the Bible after being LDS. And so I am in a position to compare and contrast what Mormonism represents doctrinally with what the Bible says. That's the first reason. The second reason is Mormons and Mormonism, Mormonism claims it has the truth. It claims that it is the only true church on the face of this earth. And it claims that you must be or accept Mormonism in order to live with God after this life. So it says, in essence, it is Christian. And when someone says Mormons are Christian, they think they agree with what's in the Bible. That's just not so. So there's another reason that we pick on Mormonism. Third, Mormonism heaps untruths, deceptions upon unsuspecting people who really do want to know God. They are in their church. They're good people. They're trying to live good lives. They're trying to know God. And they believe what their Mormon leaders are telling them. So they're sitting there and they're suspect to that. And some of those people, number four, are my family and friends. 
So for those four reasons, we have said we are going to focus on Mormonism. Now, looking at these reasons, uh, you can see why I don't pick on uh, or go after organized, uh, all organized religions, because I don't know them all. I don't understand them all. But I was LDS. For instance, I don't go after Catholicism because I don't understand Catholicism. I understand Mormonism. I don't attack Islam or Buddhism because they don't claim to be Christian. I, I believe in the freedom of religion. So if someone wants to say Buddha is the way, let them have that right. But if they say Buddha is the way and this is Christianity, then I would fight with them. But they don't say that, so I don't care. Let them have their, their way. I don't go after uh, Scientology because I don't have any family or friends who are Scientologists. So I don't have a personal vested interest in it. Scientology doesn't claim to be Christian. And I never was a Scientologist, so they don't meet that criteria. Again, we have attacked Mormonism because it meets the criteria, and we have not held back at all. Admittedly, I have been rude. I have been acerbic. I have, been, I have cut you off. I've hung up on you. I have called you out. I have mocked your leaders to no end. I have no respect for them. I, I have done all sorts of things that have absolutely upbraided you and caused you to try to see the religious idiocy behind the machine called Mormonism. We've been called unloving because of it. It's actually in love that we do it. We've compiled to date over 370 hour-long programs on our website, and they're provided at no cost for anyone to go, and they can learn about all these things that we have shared and shown uh, over the years, and we're going to continue to make those programs more user-friendly, break them down for easy access, but as of tonight, at least for the time being, throughout 2013, we are done with Mormonism. All of it together. Now, people call and they have questions or comments about it. Fine, we'll answer those. But when it comes to my presentation beginning next week, I am going to go after another group. I'm going to go after that group with the same amount of tenacity, the same amount of rudeness, the same amount of indifference to people's feelings, because we're going to stick to the facts about what the book that we hold to says, compared to what is being done culturally, doctrinally, in praxis, there in this major group. Now, what group is it? Remember, Mormonism has 14 million people, right? This other group that we're going to focus on for the year of 2013 worldwide has 1 billion people. And I would suggest that a great majority of them are being fed something that is heinous and not true. Something that gets in between their clear relationship that God wants with them and is putting itself in between them. That group is primarily going to be American evangelical Christianity. We're going to go after its politicking. We're going to go after its demands. We're going to go after its culture. We're going to go after its doctrine relative to what the Bible says. I am going to hold back nothing in my terms of investigating what a, a traditional and a contemporary American evangelical Christianity has heaped upon people as representing this thing that I know is right and true. This Jesus that I know is often being misrepresented, either through legalism or through licentiousness through Calvinism or strict Arminianism. We're going to go after every single thing possible. Now, some of you know that we just returned back from a month vacation. 
We got criticized for that by many people. They wrote and said, it'd be nice to take a month off. Boy, you must really be in the bucks. Thanks for all your viewers for supporting you. I want you to know that, first of all, if you are going to be in something for the bucks, you want to be engaged in religion during Christmas. That's the buck-making time of year. We would want to have our church going during the holidays in order to get people to feel bad for the poor and put more into our coffers. We'd want to be on the air right during the holidays so that we could petition you over and over again to give to us before the end of the tax year so that we can, uh, you can have a write-off for your uh, taxes uh, next year. There's all kinds of reasons why you want to be in the business of religion during uh, the month of uh, uh, December. But we said, I need a break. And after seven years, we haven't taken one. We decided we're going to take it then. And what did we do? Unsuspectingly, uh, my wife and I and my daughter and I, uh, we decided, hey, let's go visit some Christian churches. I mean, we are spending all kinds of time and talent and energy and money and resources to expose Mormonism for what it is and try to get people to see that they can have a relationship with, with God through Christ that's unadulterated and unencumbered by man, and we're taking, trying to get people to leave Mormonism and to go into uh, Christian churches. So we said, let's go visit some of the largest Christian churches in Utah during this break of ours. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what we discovered. Freaking show. It's a show. I mean, a Metallica concert has trouble keeping up with some of the things we saw. What the hell is going on? You've got to be kidding me. You pastors who are supposed to be helping people and get them to understand the word of God, to strengthen them in their walk with Christ and to be Christians to their neighbors and to be filled with love and information. You stand up there and tell uh, uh, anecdotal uh, stories and jokes about your skiing vacation and you get up and talk about two or three passages and, and act like you're teaching the scriptures and you got a rock band up there and you call that Christianity. I watched, I watched six different major churches in this state as their people float in and the band starts playing and I watched them. And you know what? Most of them, 90% of the people standing in your rocked out churches, you know what they're doing? They're kind of trying to get into it. They're like, yeah, oh, Oh, that was good. You got a few people who are like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and you got the majority of people like, I'm not sure if I really believe this. You know, yeah, Jesus, go. And, and then the songs, the lyrics, what are they all about? Jesus, I'm in love with you. You're my new boyfriend. Can we go out and, and will you date me for the rest of my life? All this man-made garbage, it's baloney. It is absolute baloney when it comes to what God describes his church like in the New Testament, which every one of those men gave their entire life for to establish the right way. And you go into modern churches today, and then you got the money. Oh, they pass it out. They talk about it. The needs are great. You know, don't be into the world, they say. We're not of this world, as they're in multi-million dollar edifices. What happened to churches that met in people's houses, that didn't take up a collection so they could pay for their building? It's unbelievable what we are taking people out of Mormonism for and putting them into. <coughs> now, <coughs> I know, I know, 
that this is not going to bode well for us. I realize that many of our supporters that allow us to remain on the air are going to pull back. You're not going to like it. Our eyes were opened with the presidential elections where the body of Christ, who for two, three hundred years has talked about Mormonism being a cult, threw their everything behind a Mormon candidate because they disdained Obama so much. It started with that. And the emails we would get from Christians who were saying, listen, don't pick on the Mormon candidate anymore. Just stick to what you do. We will put this Mormon candidate in office. Realizing full good and well that had he won, Mormonism would have won worldwide. But that was, that was irrelevant to them. Truth was irrelevant to evangelical Christianity during the elections last year. What was relevant was, are their pocketbooks going to be protected against the onslaught of what uh, Obama's probably going to do? I don't know. But bottom line, politics really launched me into the, to realizing what is going on with the body of Christ. And so when we went then and visited, I was overwhelmed. I had no plans on doing this this year. I simply was going to continue to pursue after Mormonism. No, no, no. When there's a billion people out there, and Jesus says, straight as the gate narrows the way, few be there that find it. It breaks my heart to step into those churches and see exactly what the pastors are doing, feeding themselves, their own damn egos, their own pocketbooks, their own paid vacations, their own grand vision of what they can do with materialism, all of that is part of what they are calling Christianity today. All the political machinations, all the groups, all of it baloney, and we are going to go after it with every bit of passion I have through this year. If we don't make it, if the funding goes, we don't care. We're going to do what is right. We're going to do what is true. Because if we're going to yank people out who long for God, who sit in a Mormon church, and they're trying to understand who God is, they realize Mormonism is false, and they step out into this show, this freak show, this sideshow, that, that just burns me up to no end. So hang on. We're going to do it, and we're going to use specific examples. If there's pastors out there, we are going to challenge you to go to your pastor and say, stop with what we're doing here. We're going, to say, we're going to challenge you to go to them and say, we're not going to pay you a cent unless you start teaching us the word verse by verse. We don't want to hear your stories. We want to hear the word of God. Stop with the show. Stop with the buildup of religion. Stop with all this phoniness. Stop with all these cliques. Stop with all your counsels. Let's get back to what the early church was. And we're going to do everything we can to help facilitate that. Now, in closing this up, we're going to go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Before we take your calls, we've had a few responses. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, Sean. Why? Well, the first response is uh, you have a really good thing going. You have, a, you have a niche in the market. You've done something that no one else has done in the history of, of television toward Mormonism, and that's you've let everybody know, keep building on that no. It's, it's, that makes no sense when we have no place to send these people. When they, and so, no, that doesn't matter. You're going to divide the body, I've heard three people say. The body of Christ, as how the scripture describes it, is sick. It's morbidly obese. It needs to be put on a restricted diet. 
It has been swimming in a pond and has come out and the body of Christ is covered in leeches and it needs to be deleached. however you do that. Uh, it's undisciplined and it's lethargic and it's carnal and it's based in money. So we're going to go after that. And then we've been told, ironically enough, it's not Christian. It's not loving to do this. You guys were fully behind me for seven years as I eviscerated Mormonism. And you thought my passion was justified. You thought my criticisms of Mormonism were all well and good because it was for the kingdom of God. Well, can we handle our own medicine? Can we look in the mirror and say, let's take this and look at ourselves now? Because that's what we're going to do. I have two places where I give my heart. The first is to God and God alone. The second is to people, individuals, single people. Any other group, whether they be corporations, institutions, political movements, businesses, good old boy networks, committees, governing boards, positions of importance, power brokers, they can go kiss a rat. I don't care about them. And I don't care about what they offer us. If you are a supporter of us and you say, if you can do this, Sean, we're not supporting you, go take your money and give it to one of your pompous pastors who needs it for their vacation. We're going after the body because it needs it. All right? So let's open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We are going to Karen in Richfield. She's a first-time caller. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Yes. Hi, Karen. You're on the air. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? Great. Um, I just called um, to let you know I think you're doing a wonderful job. I don't think the money is what people should go through. I think they should go with the Bible and the only thing that's true. Amen. I agree with you completely. And the other thing is also is I grew up in Utah. Uh -huh. I was 13 years old and went to go to a bishop's interview, LDS, and he asked me questions that really embarrassed me. Sexual? I understand, you know, like, you know, what they do, the bishops ask you if you ever drank, whatever. And it really embarrassed me. So when I got done with the interview, I went home. My father was so angry, and he grew up LDS, but he didn't believe what bishops were doing. So we felt that my father called and told the bishop off. And I never believed in going back after that. Huh. I felt uncomfortable. I felt like that was pursuing the wrong things. And I, the only thing I believe in, and because I've met a really great husband now, and we both grew up LDS, mm -hmm. he, he let me read a book by Charles Stanley. Mm -hmm. I totally, totally loved that. And it really brought me around, and we, it brought us closer to, closer to God. And I totally believe the only thing that's actually true is the Bible. And I love listening to you, and I think what you're going to do in the future is absolutely wonderful. Praise God. Thanks so much for your support, Karen, out there in Richfield. We love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye-bye. You know, uh, the, you do, if you're LDS, you go into interviews, and I know this goes on in all religions, and, and what she's talking about is the bishop of the ward, the congregation, sits down with the young people, and he gives you a series of questions. And with the young men, it's always about sex. And I remember when I was about 14, the bishop saying, uh, Sean, do you masturbate? And I said, do you? And he's like, Sean, now this is a serious question. And I said, so was mine, you know? 
come on. You look at me and ask me that question. I get to ask you too. And even if he wasn't physically actually doing it, I'm certain he was doing it in his brain because that's what men do. And to God, it's all the same. Brain, actual heart. God says, look it, you're guilty, dude. You need a savior. And so this is the thing with religion. And, and, and this is what she was bringing out. These, these guys get in between. And if you have a problem with things and, and your heart's heavy, you go to God and you say, look, I've been doing, Lord, I need help with this. Help me out, you know. And he steps in and he does it. And, and these men keep thinking that they have to get in there and do it. And they don't, not in a biblical sense. Let's go to David in Salt Lake City, first time caller. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. First of all, I just wanted to say welcome back. We really missed you. Thanks. And it's good to have you back on the air again. It's good to be back. Hey, I'm a former, I'm a former LDS, but I just want to tell you, I've really enjoyed your uh, programs on, on Mormonism. They've been very helpful in and, and reaching out to the LDS community. But uh, I just want to tell you, I'm behind you 100% on on going after the evangelical churches. I was pretty disgusted myself with the evangelical Christians coming out and supporting uh, Mitt Romney, yeah. president. Uh, you know, it just really uh, burned me up, you know, especially Billy Graham, uh, Evangelistic Association coming out and denying that Mormonism is a cult just so they could uh, get the evangelicals to support Mitt Romney. But uh, Amen. I just wanted to call you and just uh, tell you, I wish you good speed, and I know there's a lot of people out there that have been thinking about supporting your program because I know you're going to probably suffer a lot of uh, financial setbacks because of that, but uh, I just want to encourage people that have been thinking about supporting your uh, ministry and your program that uh, they need to step up and, uh, and uh, you know, and do what's right. So anyway, just wanted to wish you good speed, and uh, thanks again for uh, being back on the air and, and standing up for what's right. Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate it. We're going to send you a check for that little endorsement. <laughs> just God bless you, brother. All right, God bless you. We've been poor before, let me tell you. We've gone without, uh, and we can do it again. God always provides, always. And he will provide for the things that are right, so we're not worried about that. Terry and St. George, first-time caller, St. George, Utah. Terry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Terry, you're on the air. Well, hi, Sean. Hello? <laughs> I love you, Sean. Oh, my gosh, I've missed you so much. Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you. Same um, to you. I'm really happy to hear that you guys are going to take this new direction this year. It's, it sounds really exciting to me. Good. Um, um, my husband, you've met him, Monty, uh, the crazy one in St. George. He's emailed pictures with your crazy T-shirts and things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we just both love you so much. And anything you do, anything you do in the air, just, you're following your heart, and I know you're going to give us all. Well, I was thinking of doing some pole dancing down the road. Are you sure anything I do would be? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I know I sound kind of crazy, but, um, you know, my husband's in Texas, and I'm sitting on a mountain in a cabin and uh, watching you. And That's a lonely uh, who knows, place. But, you know, I, all I know is that we love you, and go for it. You know, uh, I'm going to send you money. <laughs> Man, I, I should have done this years ago. I'm just kidding, I'm Terry. Send you, money. you don't have to do that. Just keep, just keep you didn't even ask for it, but I'm inspired. Just keep, I'm really joking. Just keep I was, good. In, I was, I was a Mormon all my life. I raised my children LDS, um, but I taught them that Jesus was first. I didn't understand ever the priesthood. It, yeah. it wasn't something that 
that I understood because I knew that I could go to God. I knew that I had that relationship with God. And I, I had to go to Catholic school of all the weird things. I had to go to Mormon seminary in the morning, then Catholic school. And I dated a Baptist all through high school. Wow. So I know it was crazy, so I was really mixed up. And all I knew is that I wanted my children to, to know know God and to know know Christ. And it took me until I saw you a couple of years ago to realize that what you were feeling your whole life is what I was feeling. And I decided, well, I don't have to be a Mormon. No. I really, I'm not a Mormon. I'm a born-again Christian. Praise God. So, praise God. Thank you so much, Terry. God bless you. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. Got an email. It says, Sean, after several emails exchanged over the years, I am almost ready to consider returning to Mormonism as a born-again Mormon, although I'm not sure that is possible. After years of emotional abuse, theft, and literal dishonesty by so-called Christians, I can't take any more of them and their lies and genuine and deception. That won me to Mormonism what won me to Mormonism originally was their kindness, generosity, and genuine caring, which continues today, even though I have not been a member for 20 years. Mormons are the one who come to my rescue while so-called Christians are ready to shoot the only army that shoots their wounded. I am confused by this. You know, it's absolutely true. Uh, you get into a, this is the thing. It's, it's always been paradoxical to me. The, 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 the street preachers, the guys down at the pier and at the, at the malls, come to Jesus. He loves you. He, was, he saves sinners. You're a sinner. Come on into the body. He loves you. Be a Christian. Be a Christian. You become a Christian, and then you got to be perfect. And if you're not, they kick you back to the street, and they treat you worse than they did before. And you see what, what she's saying. Now, that happens in Mormonism, too, without a doubt. But it's especially prevalent in Christianity relative to your sin. With Mormons, if you are pro-Mormon and you sin, they are there to help you. They will come and counsel you and work with you. But with Christianity, they will shoot their wounded. That's what this person's saying. That should not be the case. This is when we get behind people and we help those people and we help them understand that uh, uh, sins and the things that we do wrong are part of, the, uh, of human life and it's going to continue on as long as we're in bodies and that God is helping us spiritually and to not focus on the physical and to overcome those things that way through love, not through ostracization. And so that's what this person's saying. And this is a huge place in which evangelical Christianity can improve today. Okay, let's go to, uh, I almost put this up to my eyes as those, those were my glasses. Let's go to um, uh, Neil in Nampa, Idaho, and then Shauna in Orem, Utah. Neil, it says line two. Uh-oh. Neil? No, it's not Neil, because I just heard an operator say, uh-oh. Hold on one second. Uh, let's try line three. Neil? Uh, no, my name's Eli. Oh, we'll take your call. What's going on? <laughs> okay, what's up, buddy? Uh, I was just calling letting you know that I really like what you do. Uh, I think it's great. Um, my entire family, uh, except for my immediate family, is LDS. Huh. Um, and I was actually wondering um, if you could elaborate on the connection between Masonry and Mormonism, because I'm a former Freemason, um, and I was actually in its youth group, DMLA, for a while. Wow. Um, and uh, also, uh, after that, uh, I was wondering, is there any uh, connection, um, do you think, 
from the Illuministic lodges to like Joseph Smith and his family? Probably not uh, uh, with the Illuminati and all that. Uh, first of all, let me just, uh, are you going to stay on the phone or are you going to hang up and uh, listen? Still, I'm still here. Okay, so Eli, Bottom line, with, when it comes to Mormonism and Masonry, Masonry created its own fictional history to give itself merit. Of course, it started with the guilds, uh, medieval times. They're thinking maybe 1700s, maybe a little bit earlier, probably France, that the guilds came together, workmen's guilds, and shared secrets of the trade. And so let's say that I was a Mason and I wanted to get a job. And I walk up to a big cathedral and they're working on it. All the guys in that group they had secret handshakes and secret signs they would give each other so that they would be able to protect who worked on that job at the cathedral. You know all this, I'm sure, but this is for our audience, Eli. Oh, and sorry so, about that, brother. <laughs> and so um, when, when, when an outsider comes along and he doesn't know the secret handshakes and signs, he's not going to get employment in working on that cathedral as a mason, okay? Well, in time, those, those guilds on working on individual places became lodges and became fraternal in nature, meaning that they became an association for men to get together and, and they, they continued the handshakes and signs and things, but they did it for the common good of the government and the community and they would blackball people. They would say, hey, Mr. Smith is gonna open a blacksmith shop. Should we allow him? They would get around in a circle and they would drop balls. And if he was blackballed, they would say, no, we're not gonna support him. And if he was supported, they would. So there's a little history for the audience on Freemasonry. That's how it kind of evolved. But they made ties to it back to Solomon's Temple. Well, in Nauvoo, Illinois, Joseph Smith founded that city. They built it up beautifully. Joseph Smith, his father had been a Freemason. His brother had been a Freemason. He became a Freemason. And, three, and he rose to the sublime degree of Freemasonry in a lodge in Nauvoo. He learned all their handshakes. He learned all their signs. He learned all of the clothing and garb that they would wear. And three weeks later, he came out with the Mormon Temple Endowment. And the Mormon Temple Endowment borrows the handshakes, it borrows phraseology, it borrows the clothing, and all it does is bind Mormons who go to the temple with all those secret things that Masons use to bind themselves. Does that help? Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but what is their reasoning behind the similarities? Um, oh. If you, if you ever ask them. Yeah. Uh, supposedly, Joseph Smith said... He took Mason's, Masonry's fake history of going back to Solomon's temple and he said this was an ancient order that God established. It became corrupt through Freemasonry and when I got it, Joseph Smith said, I've cleaned up the corruption and brought it back to its true form that God intended it to be back when they were working on Solomon's temple. That's how they justify taking from Freemasonry and altering it a little bit and then applying it for their own needs. Well, can I uh, talk about Freemasonry a little, a little bit there, too? Um, as I am a, an ex, yeah. I will call myself a former uh, Freemason. I am not currently active. I, uh, I, I've discovered some fairly disturbing stuff. Um, you see, a Christian um, who has never gone through the LDS endowments would never ever ever realize that if he joined the lodge he would be wearing satan's apron as per lds theology right I, satan is the one who tells them to put it on 
Right. Um, the Masons refer to their aprons as a lambskin. And uh, in researching in the Bible what something in lambskin is, and uh, well, you can probably guess what it truly is, you know. Right. Uh, something that wears a false lambskin is, is, you know, more of a, uh, you know, false prophet, you know, more of a, uh, um, you know, Luciferianism is, is not seen by the Masons that join that are Christians. Um, they see this beautiful symbolism, all this great moral building. Right. When a, a mystic goes through, when a Mormon goes through, when a, somebody who's been through the occult goes through, they see something that uh, your mainstream Christian, your mainstream regular Joe doesn't see. Won't see. The, the, the language when you have occultic training versus, you know, Christian training is, uh, um, it's coded, you know, Absolutely. it's very esoteric. It's an exoteric system within an esoteric system. Hey, Eli, listen, yeah. I, I think you sound like a very smart guy and, and, and your information, maybe we should have you on the show sometime if you come up from Oregon. But, I would love that. Absolutely. Maybe you can um, share some of that with us. But right now we have a bunch of callers waiting and we try to move it forward. And uh, I would love to hear more on that. Maybe we can work that out in the future. Excellent. Oh, and about evangelicalism or evangelism, read the book The Family by Jeff Charlotte. It goes into what you're talking about. Okay, thanks, ma'am. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, is line two gone? I guess it is Shauna and Orem. Shauna, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean. Yeah, Shauna. I just want to let you know that we support you about the churches. We're having a hard time finding a good church to go to also. I mean, when you find, when you, you catch your pastor lying to you, you know, a couple lies to you and stuff, and then not even apologizing, and then he doesn't even want to light the cross up at night and stuff. I think that we're coming into the days where we're probably going to have to find homes to worship in. Yeah, I, I, I might agree with you completely, and I don't see anything wrong with that. Because, you know, every time we find a church, we just, we just, it just turns out to be no good, and we wind up leaving, and we just can't find anywhere to go. Keep searching. There's some down there that I think you would, you would find, uh, uh, I, I, I don't mean to infer, Shauna, that every church in, in, in Utah or America is uh, uh, defunct and vile. I, I'm just talking in a general sense, the direction. So I know there are some good ones down there in Orem. Uh, keep searching. You'll find the right fit. But you're right. There does need to be some kind of house cleaning where the people say no more of this. Yeah, we're just, we just have a hard time finding the real, genuine, real thing. It's like me and my husband, and that's it, you know? You well, know, it's kind of a lonely world down here. It is a lonely <laughs> world down there. Keep going, my sister. Thanks so much. Okay, we support you. Thank you. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, did we lose a call? We did, okay. Um, we have the mic o'clock, okay, let me see. I just want to, no, I want to do that one. Uh, no, not that one. Uh, I am not a homosexual, not that one. Uh, uh, hi, Sean, I came across your website by mistake today. This is from the Philippines by Duncan D., and it says, I was thoroughly disappointed to see another load of drivel attacking and belittling the prophet Joseph Smith. There is enough anti-Mormon stuff out there and you are completely wasting your time doing this. There will always be people opposing the truth wherever it's found. And, uh, and Joseph Smith, uh, you're completely ignorant. 
of Mormon doctrine and blatantly pretend uh, to know it. Uh, listen, uh, you, you have to have a, a, a cognitive uh, disconnect, cognitive dissonance when you are a Latter-day Saint. And that means when you're presented with truth, you have to, in your mind, come up with a justification of how what you have heard is not true in order to be able to live with yourself and continue to stay in the thing that you're in. Uh, Christians, everybody experiences that. You experience that in a marriage. When you've been in the marriage and you find out that the spouse is an adulterer and has been going out on you all the time, you experience that. You don't want to believe it. You, you're shocked that you are uh, duped by this person. And so there's all kinds of mind games that we play in order to continue to stay in uh, something that we're comfortable in and not see the reality of what we're facing. And that is what this poor guy is experiencing from the Philippines. It's a disassociation from the truth. He cannot take, his mind cannot take the facts. And we have said for seven years, listen, show us where we're wrong. Write and tell us where, we'll, where we are wrong and we will make a correction to the doctrine or to the practice that we say that you do. And we have received maybe uh, five things saying this specifically you were wrong on and some of them I was wrong on the details or the facts, the dates, etc. And we readily admit it. But we are talking about tens and tens of thousands of pieces of data and facts about Mormonism that no one ever comes and brings us and says, you know, these are all correct, they're all right, and we're going to continue to believe. They have to give a justification, and that's what we're experiencing. Leroy and Bountiful, I'm sorry we're missing you. We only have 30 seconds left. Listen, we hope you'll understand the heart of the ministry. It's called heart of the matter for a reason. We want to get to the issues so that people can uh, cut through all the obfuscation of truth. They can cut through all the religion. They can cut through all the mind control. They can cut through all the baloney and get to a real living relationship with the true and living God. Because when you have that, you're truly free. Nothing more important than freedom. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. <music>